This is the Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi, everyone. It's Kate. Welcome back to another episode of the Omni Channel Marketer. I'm excited to have Hassan Hasmani today. Hassan is the founder of Underdog Games, a board game that aims to inspire curiosity. Hassan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Kate. Appreciate it. Pumped to have you on. So, Hassan, why don't we start with your story? You know, tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to start Underdog Games. Awesome. Yeah. So my entrepreneur story started a bit before Underdog Games. When I was in college, right before there was an, I had an internship. And during that time, I was like, you know, I don't necessarily want to become an accountant. That's what I was going to college for. I was going to school for accounting. I was thinking about getting my CPA, etc. And I Googled how to make money selling stuff online. And that was really the start of the whole journey <laughs> is that one Google search. Um, and so throughout a couple of years, I was selling products on Amazon. I was learning about e-commerce. And then when I was 22, I slept at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. That was, I did a backpacking trip to the bottom. I'd never slept outdoors before. That was my first time sleeping outdoors. And two weeks later, I stumbled upon the person that became my co-founder, Charlie Bink. And he had created a board game with his family called Trekking the National Parks. And I had now, you know, I started a love for national parks. I thought this was really cool. So I talked to his family and convinced him to join with me. And then we created a board game company together. And the whole goal of the company is that we use real life topics. We have a game about world travel, a game about history, a game about famous women. And we want to inspire curiosity among kids, but also among adults as well. So where did you start selling underdog games? What channel did you sell through? Yeah. So we actually started as a Shopify pre-order. So this is kind of an interesting story. I believed in the product pretty heavily and I felt very confident that I could sell it through Facebook ads. So we decided to put an order in 9,000 units straight off the bat. Before the products even came in, I was like, you know what? We should try selling these now. So we launched a one-page Shopify store and we used a pre-order now app and just ran Facebook ads. The website said the products would deliver in October. This was July. And, you know, I never sold my own products before. I'd always sold other people's products on e-commerce. And so I very vividly remember running that first Facebook ad being like, ah, if I spend a hundred dollars and I get one sale, I'll be happy with it. Even though, you know, just to learn. And we started getting sales that night. I actually, after like a few weeks, we had pre-sold 5,000 units and I had to shut it off because I wasn't actually sure how I was going to deliver them. (laughs) I hadn't figured that part out yet. So (laughs) I was like, I got to stop taking pre-orders because I don't, we're going to get in too deep. Wow. Um, that must have been pretty, like a pretty exciting start. And then you know, talk to me about what the business looks like today, the, the channels you sell through and how you think about those different channels. Yeah, for sure. So we have majority of our sales now come from Amazon. Our Shopify acts as like a pre-order platform for us. We have, we do have SEO traffic and all, but most of the times when we're selling products on a Shopify, it's for a new product launch. We've used Kickstarter as well. We launched two of our games on Kickstarter as a third platform. And we're also now in Barnes and Nobles as well. And we're having conversations with other major retailers. So we're trying to build out strong omni-channel because we have all the avenues ready for all that. So, you know, talk to me a little bit more about Amazon. I know you're deeply ingrained in the community. Talk to me about how Underdog Games kind of fits into the broader Amazon community. You know, what are the goals? 
when selling on Amazon. And you know, talk to me a little bit more about the platform and why you've been successful there. Yep. So the hardest part about running a creative company, supported so games are a creative product. You know, they're similar to movies, they're similar to books, any publishing company. And the hardest part about that is discovery. So you have to educate the company, you have to educate the consumer, or you know, you have to get the consumer in front of people. So you have to do different variations of push marketing, right? So that's why Facebook ads is always so effective as an advertising platform for board games because people are not necessarily already looking for it. Amazon is an important part of that, even though it's a very difficult part of that because there's a lot of, there's, you know, 50% of searches happen on Amazon. And so when people search for board games, people search for family board games, when people search for games for family game night, you know, some of the top keywords, we want, we want to have a presence there. So if you look at all the sources of traffic in the world, right, you can break down sources of traffic by volume and like we generate our own volume via Facebook ads, right? So like every dollar we spent, we can get, we can accumulate traffic. We can pay for traffic through Facebook ads. That's one way. But if we want to go into a pre-existing traffic platform, that's Amazon. So Amazon brings the traffic. We want to be there. We want to rank. So that's what the goal is, right? Without being on Amazon, we would be missing out on so many people searching for board games. And, you know, theoretically, every one of those is a competitor. So we want to have a presence there. And of course, we pay for advertising on it as well. So, you know, you're trying to capture the search volume that exists on Amazon. And then you're also driving some of your own traffic. Are you driving that to Amazon? Or are you driving that to Shopify? And, you know, how do you think about where you're driving yeah. Facebook ads? That is always an interesting question. And yeah, at various points in the year, we change our minds. So there's, for example, if you want to do stuff like a creative bundle or a like a creative bundle between your products, special offer for a specific season, or, you know, even if you're thinking about like doing this product plus another product, you know, as that's also a bundle, but not between existing products, but like more of like a tiny upsell. Shopify works better for all those platforms. So if we, you know, if we think about doing stuff like that, like for Black Friday, we had a special sale among all of our products. We ran all, we ran that through Shopify and ran Facebook ads through Shopify. But throughout the year, what's actually changed is that the profitability of Shopify Shopify, we actually use Amazon to fulfill all of our Shopify orders as well. For a four pound product, right? We're a relatively bigger product. For a four pound product, no one can compare with Amazon for fulfillment fees at our volume, at least. Plus the benefit of having all your products stored in one place is huge for us. And so there was a point, this happened as of two weeks ago. So our strategy has changed as of two weeks ago. Amazon has made multi-channel fulfillment. So fulfillment for Shopify orders more expensive. And that's actually changed our profitability Mm -hmm. calculations. And they all also, you know, brand referral bonus is a thing in Amazon where if you drive sales, they'll give you 10% of their referral feedback. So it's actually changed the, the calculations so that the Amazon orders, if we drive traffic to Amazon themselves, they're actually not that far off from our Shopify orders. So the profitability is similar. One other thing I will mention that's very important to this is one of the, one of the so Amazon has brand attribution. So if you run Facebook ads to Amazon, Amazon will give you data. We'll try to attribute those sales. The accuracy of that is contested, but seems relatively accurate to us. But it's still slower. So the data comes in a bit slower. So one of our most, one method that we use is we test landing pages and ads to Shopify, get those sales, get that data really quick, and then flip those landing pages to Amazon. And that way we can get the benefit of the really fast data from Shopify and then flip around and send them to Amazon because we know those pages work and we know the ads work and we have all that data. So you use the real That's one way we do data it. you get from Shopify and then use the creative that works, flip those ads to then drive traffic to Amazon because the economics work better now. Yeah, yeah. We have we validated that the uh, landing pages and ads work and we put them to Amazon. And at this point, they're break even. So we'd rather fulfill them through Amazon. 
Makes a lot of sense. So where is the business today in terms of revenue and volume? You know, how what does growth look like? Yeah. Yep. So we're we're above five million dollars a year at this point. Re- uh growth looks like for us, it's always about launching more and more products. And so it's relatively somewhat difficult to predict growth because of, for example, we launched a game called Trekking Through History last year, and the reviews for that game have been really great, and we're seeing a lot of international growth now. And so if you create a hit game, you can go from $5 million to $20 million in one year. On the other hand, you can spend all your money, and your game is a mediocre success. So... The way I would, the way I like to compare it to is like when you start, when you create a movie for the first two years, you're hundreds of million dollars in the red. And then on year three, you hit $400 million if you're hit at the box office. It's similar to a book, right? The predictability is extremely difficult, but what we're always trying to do is improve our processes to make better and better games. Makes complete sense. So Zan, you and I met at the Amazon Innovate Conference and something that you said to me there was like, this is something I think about every single day. And you were talking about your customer's email. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. Why is that customer email so important to you? What are the gaps there that you're looking to fill by capturing that customer email? Yeah, yep, yep. So when we sell, so some of our games are called Trekking the National Parks, Trekking the World, Trekking the History. It's a line It's a line extension. And we try to add more and more games into that line extension. We'll probably stop it at some point. But um, since Discovery is the hardest part of a company, we've sold 500,000 units of all of our games combined. And so I don't have 500 thousand emails right now. If I had 500, because I've sold most of those through Amazon, if I had 500,000 emails right now, I could accelerate the company much, much faster than what I can right now. And so we think about this all the time because if we create good games, that's our objective is we always create good games. If we do create good games and those customers like our games, then we can try and sell them on the next product that we create because hopefully we provided a lot of joy and entertainment to those families and they believe that this next product will provide the same level of joy and entertainment. And so we think about capturing emails all the time because because Amazon doesn't give us the emails and we want to be able to sell them the next product that we create. And what are some of the methods that you're using to capture customer emails? Yeah, so uh, we do use Bridge and with Bridge and with even before that, our main thing is that we've tested, we've tested a variety of offers. So we have a somewhat of a benefit in that everyone that buys our games needs to learn how to play the games. And so they come to our page to learn how to play the game. So we have a rules video. And so when people open the box, so if you have the box in front of you and you flip open the box, on the inside box cover and on the front page of the rule book, it says like, learn how, like, don't read the rule book, learn how to play at this URL. And then when I get to the URL, our goal is, okay, what is the offer that we can create to capture the customer? So we, we already have a built-in mechanism to get the customers to the website. And because we provide value, right? That's the major part we want to make. We do want to make it easier for them to learn how to play the game. So they have a reason to come to the website. And when they get there, we still want to provide value. So we're always thinking about what is the maximum value we can provide that actually gets them to give us their email. So some of the stuff we've done, guarantee replacement parts for life. So it's like a little warranty-esque mechanism, but we want to, if any issues happen with the games, we want to give them replacement parts. For the National Parks game, we've created completely free digital files that you can like print out at home. It's like a National Parks map, created a National Parks book. We've created National Park coloring pages, you know, stickers. Like we, you know, we're paying to create this free stuff. And then we just give it out as a reason for collecting email. People will not give you their emails unless you have an actual reason. If you have something that you have to have something that you can provide value with people yeah. to give you their emails. So that's, that's definitely something 
something that we see. You need you need a clear value transferred and the customer will be willing to create that experience, give you their email if they feel like they're getting something for that. And there's something that I think that you think a lot about and do really well is think about your end-to-end customer experience from you know pre-purchase to post-purchase. So just talk me through how you as a team think about that end-to-end customer experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're always trying to improve this. We're always trying to be more customer-centric. But we really think about, we actually outline the whole process from like, you know, ad discovery or word of mouth discovery. And then we think about, okay, we have like, how can we make the rules as like, you know, this is the biggest barrier for customers for us is learning the rule book. So we're always thinking about as soon as they open the box, every step of them opening the box, how can we make the rules as easy as possible to learn? How can we create an experience for them that you know when they sit down to play, they have an enjoyable time. And then post-purchase, it's always just providing value. So we you know we we have a lot of moms that are part of our email capture our email group. And so we're always trying to give out freebies. We, you know, we create road trip games, we create free kits, anything that can help them with their families. So you know other stuff that we're we're trying to nail down and that's part of the post-purchase journey is word of mouth is the biggest method of sales you will have as a company for most companies and not for mo- not necessarily for most companies for for a creative company like us definitely like word of mouth is hope our biggest sales channel and we want to create we want to incentivize it not just incentivize it but more i guess reward it because it happens naturally you can't necessarily incentivize people to do word of mouth for a product they don't like so the product has to be great first if the product is great there's word of mouth and then you want to reward people word of mouth. So we're thinking about and testing out different systems as a referral mechanism, but our goal is to turn our customers into our biggest sales channel if we do our job of serving our customers so well that they feel compelled to share it. Makes complete sense. Hazan, I know that you're really passionate about content creation. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yep, for sure. So content curation is probably one of the biggest attacks you can have if you want to get to a certain point in five years. So my personal belief is that your success like that you will see in five years it's just a result of whatever habits that you have today. And they accumulate and there's compounding interest on that. And so content curation is essentially, okay, throughout your life, throughout your day, every single day, you are listening to music, watching TV, watching movies, listening to podcasts, it's not audible. And a lot of people do this in some ways passively. So they'll listen to things that, that just give them that nostalgic or they'll just watch TV, I guess, passively or watch movies. They won't actively make those decisions. And so curating your content so that what you're absorbing on a daily basis is gearing you towards the next step is amazing. And that also involves free time. So not that you shouldn't have free time and not that you shouldn't enjoy free time, but let's say you do want to sit down and watch TV. You should have a list of priority, like ranked priorities, what you want to watch and what you don't want to watch. So even your free time, like maximize your free time, really take the time to identify what you would like to pursue, what you would like to consume for content in the same way that and essentially consume content also means like your free time, like your time as a whole, you're consuming time. So maximize that as much as you can and be more active about prioritizing it. And this also comes to another specific thing that I talk about a lot, which is that if you have values about consumption or if you have values that society gives you. So I was an immigrant and I have essentially, I feel two completely different set of cultural values raised from where I was raised and where I live now in America. And like I was raised in India. And so I have two complete set of culture. I have two completely different set of cultural values that were given to me, right? When I was a kid, I was being presented with both of those. But one of the superpowers that allowed me to have is that I was able to select I'm able to select the ones I want to live my life with. So think really hard about what values are given to you from who you were raised by and the society you were raised in and what values you could have 
and then try to actively define those. Because if you actively define those, you'll find that you probably are living life a bit more purposefully than if you allow them to be passively defined for you. Okay, so define your values and be you know super conscious about the content that you are absorbing. Do you have any tips, you know, organizationally for how you could do that better or how not you, um, how other organizationally I use notion. So anytime someone recommends movies or music to me, I put it into my notion doc. I write who recommended it to me and then I rank them in priority order. List. So I have movies, TVs, podcast, uh, podcast episodes, books. Yeah. Pretty much those four are like the main four, but I always have. So anytime I want to sit down or if I have free time, I can just pop up in the document and then I'm able to just pick from the list and they're prioritized. For the values themselves, it's more of just like really analyze your life and say, these are the values I have. Did they come from me internally or did they come from someone else? And do I want this value? If I don't want this value, what value do I want? And just write them down. Mm-hmm. It's just more conscious thinking. Makes sense. I think that's a good transition to our lightning round. So no, awesome. I'm going to pull some things in here. We'd love to get your thoughts on each. Favorite omni-channel brand? Favorite omni-channel brand right now? Ollie does a really good job with their supplements. So I know a lot Ollie. of people take Ollie supplements. And those mm-hmm. I've seen really cool stuff with them. Cool. Thing you wish you can change about your industry? About board games as a whole, <laughs> or I guess games in general. Yeah. So really, uh, honestly, the easiest option is just rule books. So a lot of my industry doesn't really care about making them super accessible because the customer journey is not always the highest priority. And we strive really hard to make rule books super easy to learn. So we're just obsessed with it. Favorite podcast? Right now, probably my first million from a business side, from a personal side, the like the first couple of seasons of Invisibilia are like, that's an NPR podcast about like invisible strands that connect us together are probably life-changing. Some of the stuff in there. I haven't heard of Invisibilia. I'll have to check that one out. Favorite newsletter? I have 12 that I subscribe to these days. Marketingexamples.com is really cool. That's a new one that I want to give a shout out to. I mean, Hustle is always great. But yeah, marketingexamples.com, that guy, he does a really good job of curating stuff well for everything. Favorite social media channel? We, I mean, I mostly just use Facebook. So that's I'm in a lot of Facebook groups and I get a lot of value from that. Favorite book? Favorite book. Brene Brown has this book called, it's an audio book only. It's a cumulation of all of her, her books and it's called Power of Vulnerability. And it's essentially a lecture series that she did over six different lectures and then she combined it into an audio book. So from like a personal side, Power of Vulnerability is a life-changing book. I have a couple. Crucial Conversations will give you the tools to have good conversations in business and personal life. And that's amazing. And then this is a classic one, Atomic Habits to Build Good Habits. And then the last one I always want to give a shout out to is, oh man, uh, he was, what'd you say? Built. Oh, Built was great. Yeah, Built by Tony Fidel. But no, this was the uh, Holocaust survivor. That's in like everyone's top books from 1940s and he became the he started like therapy the psychotherapy sessions if okay. i remember it, you can put it in your <laughs> i'm just breaking on a name right now perfect favorite event that you're planning on going to this year so i'm in the e-commerce fuel and e-commerce fuel is a shopify a shopify networking group a mastermind for hollow sellers and we have e-commerce fuel live coming up um that's probably one of my favorites of the year i love going to that that's an in-person event it's an in-person event yeah cool um where can people connect with you uh just add me on linkedin that's probably okay. the easiest one. <laughs> awesome. Send me on LinkedIn. I don't really respond to anything else. So, so link, LinkedIn it is. Hassan, it's so great chatting with you. Loved your thoughts about content curation and you know defining and writing down your values. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you liked this podcast, follow me and the Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.